0: Welcome to this Innovation Forum podcast with me, Ian Welsh. Joining me today is Jodie Roussel, who's Senior Public Affairs Manager for Packaging and Sustainability with Nestle. Welcome to the podcast, Jodie. Thank you very much, Ian. We're going to talk about packaging and plastic packaging in particular. So what are the main changes that Nestle has made to its packaging strategy in the past few years?
1: So in the past few years, we've been looking at how do we reform our packaging strategy to maximise sustainability. We've been doing this in five different ways or five pillars you may see it as. The first one is we're looking at reducing unnecessary packaging or eliminating packaging when possible. This may be reducing headspace or reducing plastic over wraps that were previously around multiple products. Another way we're looking at it: an area we're piloting extensively in is reusable and refillable packaging systems. Our third area of innovation is around materials, innovating around materials to increase recyclability and also looking at shifting materials away from plastic, for example, to paper, to glass, to metal, or to monomaterial plastics, which are more easily recyclable. We're also looking at recycling and waste management infrastructure and the systems around collection, sorting, and recycling of waste to maximize how our participation can enable those systems to function healthily. And lastly, we're looking at mindsets. How can we rethink behaviors inside of Nestle? How can we rethink mindsets and business models with our retail partners and also for consumers? How can we rethink how consumers choose to consume and then to manage their packaging waste?
0: Obviously, it's a very different experience for consumers if they're going to be using different types of packaging. What they get used to will change. What are the barriers then to reusing packaging, particularly plastic packaging?
1: If I frame it in terms of both reuse and refill... Because reuse could be reusing the same packaging again. You may recall maybe you had milk that was sold in a reusable bottle when you were younger, or maybe you visited Germany where you've had water in a reusable bottle, or beer in a reusable bottle with those tracks where you can see the bottle was rolled in a washing center, then relabeled and refilled. That's a great example of industrial reuse where there's a pool of packaging currently in function. The other side is refill, where either you're taking packaging that's provided by the store, which you may buy or is given to you, or consumers could be taking their own packaging from home and then refilling it at a store. So there are a couple of different models in play. Some of the major drivers behind that, now why is refill attractive to consumers around cost reduction? Because there's no cost of packaging, personalization, the environmental consciousness of not purchasing a product that has a package that would be recycled in the end. And lastly, control over the amount of food you're buying. Now, some of the barriers that we face in rolling out these models are well, number one, it's a change to existing shopping habits. For some consumers, there may be inconvenience associated with bringing your own containers. Some people, let's say, have organized containers ready to go in a shopping bag. But for those of us who may be coming directly from work, that may be a challenge to bring your own container to refill at the store. And that's why several different models are at play between bringing your own container, purchasing a reusable container that you can keep at home. There's also a limitation in terms of the availability of well-known brands. Refill has typically been used for bulk products, commodity products over the past years. And lastly, there's the question of storing food at home. If you're choosing to bring a refillable jar, let's say a glass jar with a rubber seal or a stainless steel jar with a rubber seal on it, you have an airtight container that's going to protect your food from pests and is going to keep it fresh for a long time. If you put it in a paper bag, you won't necessarily have the same performance. And for us, when we're thinking about these systems as a food company, the quality and safety of the food provided is absolutely key. And that's one of the reasons why plastic has been used so extensively in food packaging over the past half a century.
0: Yes, it is interesting, isn't it? If you are almost taking away the brand's responsibility around the packaging, then you're pushing onto consumers more of a responsibility, as you say, to keep products fresh and safe to consume. Of the various options you've outlined there, what are the ones that you think are most likely to be really, truly scalable?
1: Right now, we're doing what we call test and learn or piloting different types of systems for reuse. One of the partnerships we have is with the company TerraCycle with their Loop packaging system, which is launching all over Europe as well as in North America, expanding into other countries around the world. And Loop provides a service, a partnership with us where we design packaging with them. Consumers can then buy the packaging at the grocery store with a small deposit. Once they're done using the product at home, maybe they're having Nesquik, for example, and after a month their Nesquik jar is empty, they then bring the jar back to the store, deposit it in one of the Loop reverse vending machines, receive a credit back for their packaging, and then they can buy a new one. Loop then, as a partner, manages the washing of the packaging and bringing it back to us for refilling. So that's one example. Another example that we have been piloting in Chile with Algramo is a bulk dispensing system for Purina pet food. This pet food, particularly dry pet food, can be heavy and come in large bags. So as a convenience to consumers, we developed with them an application where consumers can order their preferred pet food on the phone prepay in advance, and then when the electric tricycle comes to their house to deliver pet food, they have a refillable bin with an RFID tag. And then when the tag approaches the cart, the cart then automatically recognizes it's which customer and which is their preferred pet food for their dog, dispenses the pet food in the volume they ordered, and automatically charges them digitally. So it's actually also a COVID-safe delivery method, which is contact-free.
0: I guess what it comes down to is making it convenient to make it convenient for the consumer, and I guess at a neutral cost as well. They kind of, it can't cost more, but they want to be convenient and cost neutral, I would imagine. One of the great issues around packaging is the unintended consequences of changing packaging. Plastic, as you said, has developed so much because it does its job very well. It's extremely good at performing as a packaging material. So have you conducted any life cycle analysis on using plastics versus other packaging. You hear stories about a switch to paper actually is far more impactful than than retaining plastic packaging. So what LCA's have you done?
1: So Nestle has an Institute for Packaging Sciences where we have 50 full-time researchers working on the question of packaging and sustainability and materials innovation. At this R&D center, we have a number of researchers doing different types of life cycle analysis on the overall life cycle of the product. And we can look at, for example, how is a package born? Is it produced in a glass factory? Is it from a resin that comes from a petrochemical company? How is the package made? Is it made somewhere else and we're purchasing it already made? Are we blowing, for example, a bottle on site? Then how is it filled at a factory? What is the form of transportation used to deliver the product from the factory to our retail partners? And then how does it get to the consumer at home? So when you look at the lifecycle view, it's very specific to a product, a place, and the supply chain associated with it. And that changes country by country. So if you look at just the transportation element, transportation of a product by plane versus boat versus rail versus by truck, raises a lot of questions. Is that boat using heavy fuel oil or are they using ammonia? Is the truck running on diesel or has it shifted over to being an electric truck powered by green electricity or by green hydrogen? Plastic is lightweight and durable and other materials, even paper for example, is heavier than plastic. Metal and glass are obviously heavier. And so when you start looking at reuse and refill systems or it shifts to other forms of packaging, ensuring that you have both logistics and reverse logistics that will not increase the greenhouse gas footprint of that product is really critical for us. And that's something we're studying very closely.
0: We mentioned earlier unintended consequences of switching. So do you have any examples of where the law of unintended consequences has come into play regarding your work around thinking about changing packaging?
1: There are many potential consequences from any change. Part of the complexity of the packaging supply chain is this is about a system. It's a value chain. And that value chain extends from petrochemical companies to packaging companies to manufacturers of food and personal care products to retailers to consumers. And then beyond the consumer to the municipal governments and the municipal solid waste districts that are managing either what they call waste or recovered materials, depending on if it's sorted, clean and ready for recycling, or if it's not. This is really about systems change. We're looking at how do we do our part. Part of that is about our commitments that 100% of our packaging will either be recyclable or reusable by 2025, that we'll use one third less virgin plastic. And that by 2050 we'll get to net zero emissions, not just for our own scope one emissions, but also for the scope two and three emissions in our supply chain. And so that's leading a transformation of the business because we've made these commitments to ensure that our company's operations and our supply chain
0: will long term be sustainable for the climate. Okay, so 100% recyclable or reusable by 2025. What are the barriers that you're still to overcome to achieve that? Part of
1: it is about availability of supply. So, we're working very closely with our suppliers, particularly in the shift to mono material plastics. We could say there are 20 or 40,000 different types of plastic that are available in the world because of different types of additives or colorants or coating treatments that may be added. Each one of those changes moves away from a pure mono material to a material that may or may not be recyclable in your local infrastructure. And so one of the challenges that we've been addressing with the Nestle Institute of Packaging Sciences is how do we look at a shift to monomaterial packaging so that we can ensure that our packaging is going to be easily recyclable and will also be attractive for the recycling streams. This is about driving money into the business of recycling so that packaging becomes
0: ultimately a circular loop. The engagement that's required with consumers will be changing the relationship between consumers and brands and packaging drives so much of that relationship between the consumer and, and the brand. How do you see these relationships changing from Nestle's perspective? What are you thinking in terms of how you engage differently with consumers now?
1: I think the expectations of consumers are changing very rapidly. There's a very high consciousness, a high sustainability consciousness, high consciousness around the implications of climate change. And consumers are deeply concerned. But you have to remember consumers are also our staff. We have nearly 300,000 employees, and our employees care very deeply about this. Our retail partners care about this. They're consumer facing as well. And in the conversations that they have with customers, customers are looking for opportunities to change. In the past, the discussion around waste management and the responsibility for properly managing packaging waste has often been put onto the consumers. We don't think it's all about the consumers. We think it's about a system. And depending on the ownership of the packaging, the responsibility usually legally lies with the government or the municipal solid waste district. You can't say it's up to a consumer to create ultimately an entire recycling system, but if we can give our consumers, who that's also you and me in our daily lives when we leave work, can we create choices that enable individuals in their role as a consumer to make a choice that means they know the package will get recycled or reused? And that's a good choice to be able to make.
0: I think sometimes it's easy to forget that many consumers worldwide don't have an option for recycling or even for proper waste management from their municipality, from their local government. So there are so many places where just a simple waste management process needs to be put into place to allow the changes at scale that will then allow consumers to be able to recycle their packaging and everything else. Let's have a think about how things are going to evolve. You obviously got strict targets for 2025 and through to 2050. So how will your packaging strategy continue to evolve at Nestle?
1: As we look toward the future, we're looking at how can Nestle play a responsible role within the system? We're a food and beverage company and we're committed to long-term sustainability. And so the question is, where can we choose to play? I, I talked about... Different pieces of the value chain before, as well as the different pillars of our packaging strategy. Today, we partner with a number of infrastructure and collection partners, for example, with Project Stop in Indonesia, where we're supporting the development of a collection and sorting system for packaging waste. Our waters business collects the same amount of packaging that they put on the market every year in every country where they operate. So, we have our own internal programs that are looking at how do we do our part and how do we create a better system, a system where it's easy to find mono materials that can be recycled and keep those materials clean. On the other side, it's about can we partner in communities or with governments so that we can help them create functioning, collection, sorting, and recycling systems. And it's also about speaking up for the importance of good policy. We've joined other organizations at the Consumer Goods Forum as well as at the Ellen MacArthur Foundation to speak out for extended producer responsibility and deposit return systems. Those are two key pieces of policy that create the ability to finance new recycling and collection infrastructure.
0: Well it's definitely an exciting time I mean, there's lots happening there are lots of spokes in the recycling wheel but I think the fact that everyone has made commitments publicly means that real change is happening it's gonna be fascinating to see how it evolves over the coming years but for now Jodie Russell Senior Public Affairs Manager for Packaging and Sustainability at Nestle thank you very much indeed.
1: Thank you Ian.